Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. care what the story is. I don't care what the testimony is. I've heard all the testimonies. I've heard all the stories, the baddest of the bad. God can save anybody. He can save anybody. And what's even cool about that is even for the saved, God is not done working on you. That's amazing too. So if you think like, oh, I got it figured out. No, 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 you don't. God's still working on you. He's still working on you. And he might be pushing you into areas of your life currently where you just feel really uncomfortable. And that might be the best place for you. We are often the most critical of ourselves. There are times when you've made a mistake and it feels like it's literally the end of the world. There's nothing you can do to fix it. And beyond that, there's nothing that anyone else can do. But today, Pastor James reminds us, no matter how messed up life is or you are, God has the means to help you change and grow. You might not always like his methods, but they are effective and they're for your own good. And he'll never make you walk that path alone. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Acts, chapter 10, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We need bread for the broken, give some bread to the broken. We need hope for the hopeless, give some hope to the hopeless, hopeless. Bread for the broken, broken. All right, Acts chapter 10. This is a fun chapter. This is a, an incredible chapter. If you're not familiar, I'll give you the, the synopsis here. Um, Peter is uh, staying at in Joppa and gets the call, is going to get a call to go to Cornelius' house, who's a Gentile. He's going to go. Crazy things are going to happen, but the doors for the gospel, so to speak, for the Gentiles, it's already been opened, but they blow wide open from this point on. And this is really a turning point in the book of Acts, okay? This will be a turning point for us as well, because not many chapters from here is when we'll start probably introducing some of the other epistles as we're going through the book of Acts. I kind of gave you a heads up about that many months ago. Um, So if Paul goes to Philippi, there's a good chance we'll push pause on Acts and we'll teach through Philippians, okay? Just so we can understand, like, I know chronologically that doesn't make sense, but I don't really care um, because I want you to understand, like, so this is what happened when he showed up there, and then this is the letter that he wrote to those guys. So you can kind of keep it fresh on your brain, all right? Plus, then we knock out, like, two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, that's amazing, right? So it'll take us a while, but I think we'll have fun doing it that way. So that's going to be happening pretty soon. But before we get there, Acts chapter 10. So let's read verse 1. Uh, in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer, Cornelius. Uh, so your, yours may uh, give you a little bit more indication there that he technically was over about 100 men, okay? Part of the Italian regiment. He, Cornelius, was going to be one of like the top soldiers in the Roman army, okay? Which is significant to this story because it's not just that he's you know, he's a Roman army officer and, you know, in charge of a hundred men or in charge of a thousand men. It's the significance of that is this is like one of the main enemies to the people of Israel. We need to remember that when you're talking about Cornelius, if you were to ask any of the religious Jews at that time who lived in Caesarea, they would hate and despise this guy. Like, Top 10, enemy, like FBI's most wanted kind of guy as far as the Jews are concerned, this guy's an enemy. Not just because he's a Gentile, but because 
He's part of the Roman soldier. He leads Roman soldiers. He is a really bad guy as far as they're concerned. So that's just a little background for Cornelius here. He's the captain of Italian regiment. Verse two, he was a devout, God-fearing man and was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. Well, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. This is actually pretty common as well, okay? If you're walking through, you know, Israel at this point in time, it, it wouldn't be uncommon to find some Gentiles who, you know, were grown up immersed in uh, polytheism, multiple gods. You got, uh, all, you know, all the various gods, whether it's Apollos or, or, you know, you name them. I mean, you can go through a whole list of all these gods that, especially within Rome, that they would worship Saturn and things like that. There were groups of those guys who, as they were working there in Israel, they got to know these Jews who were, worshiped one God, and that became appealing to them. There was a handful of these guys who would, they would devote themselves to worshiping God. That's very fascinating. He became a religious man. He's a God-fearing man, uh, and so was everybody in his household. He gave generously to the poor. He prayed regularly, and it's even going to say later on that he even fasted. He prayed, he gave, he fasted. He did everything that Jesus told his disciples that basically he was expecting them to do. He says, when you pray, when you give, when you fast. Here's a, a Gentile Roman army officer. That's just what he's doing. He's praying, he's fasting, and he's giving. It's amazing. He's a religious guy. So please understand that. He is a religious man. The miracle in the story is, yes, that religious people can get saved that is part of it. The other miracle that's maybe even bigger than that is what happens to Peter in this story. The Cornelius story is amazing. What even tops that is what happens with Peter, a man who is already saved. So I want you to understand as, as we, we, we're going to journey into this, we're probably going to go through this chapter pretty fast, but we're going to hit some highlights and all that. But what, what I want you to understand is this. Um, there is nobody too far removed from the grace of God okay? Nobody is out of his reach. I don't care how bad they are, okay? Nobody is beyond the reach of, of God's saving hand. No one is. I don't care what the story is. I don't care what the testimony is. I've heard all the testimonies. I've heard all the stories. The baddest of the bad, God can save anybody. He can save anybody. And what's even cool about that is even for the saved, God is not done working on you. That's amazing too. So if you think like, well, I got it figured out. No, 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 you don't. God's still working on you. He's still working on you. And he might be pushing you into areas of your life currently where you just feel really uncomfortable. And that might be the best place for you because it's in the discomfort where there can be growth. Okay, that's Peter. That's, if he were to sum up this thing, he'd be like, listen, I'm staying at Simon's house. He's a tanner. He handles dead animals all the time. That's unclean. He's a Jew, but it's unclean. He's defiled, but I'm staying with him. That's a miracle that he would even be hanging out at Simon's house, smelling those smells and all that good stuff, right? But that's a start for him. And then for him to go from there and then to actually dwell with Gentiles, which would make him unclean himself, that's a huge miracle. That's really big. But let's, let's see how this develops. Let, let's see how this goes. So I, chapter 9 already gave us a, the hint that Peter's in Joppa. He's staying at Simon's house. He's already being pressed. He's already being stretched out, okay? The Lord is 
going to cause this growth to happen within Peter, within his heart. So continuing on with Cornelius, though, as he's in uh, Caesarea, which is about 30, I think it's about 30 to 33 miles away from Joppa, okay? The number three is significant within this chapter. If you're not paying attention, you'll miss how many times it's referenced, okay? But the number three, what's the significance of that? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Listen, I'm just studying through this thing. I'm like, man, three is getting mentioned quite a bit. I should probably look into that. And I got distracted by so many of these other beautiful uh, details within this chapter. So you can take that and do your homework, okay? You come back and tell me, all right? So all I know is that as I'm reading through this, I was like, three, 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 three. Oh, it's fascinating. Okay, here's Cornelius. So devout man, Praise to God, God-fearing, all that good stuff. Verse 3, one afternoon about 3 o'clock, see? About 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror, which is probably what I would do as well. <laughs> like, what's going on? Who's this shiny person coming at me? He just stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. The angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Well, this is fascinating. So there's a relationship there, but this dude's not saved. Yet he's praying and God hears his prayers, yet he's giving gifts, he's giving generously to the poor, and God acknowledges that. All those offerings that he makes, so to speak, have made their way up to God. This is like, I mean, we could spend several Sundays talking about this aspect alone. But here's God saying, hey, Cornelius, I see you, man. I see you. I hear, I've been listening to your prayers. I've been seeing all the good things you've been doing. The time is right, Cornelius. Today is the day. Well, technically, it'd be tomorrow for him. But God shows up in his life and says, hey, man, I hear all that you've been saying. I see all that you've been doing. I've been watching you, Cornelius. This is fascinating. This is amazing. Do you guys remember before you got saved how many times you prayed to God? Did that, that happen to you? I'm sure it did, okay? And here's why, how I know that. Because I did it all the time as an unsaved person. And oftentimes my prayers are, oh God, if you exist, I think you do. You're out there somewhere. I know that there's something, right? So I, I'm about to get in big trouble. Can you please save me? Can you please not make what I think is gonna happen? Can you just keep it from happening? Miraculously, sometimes that happened. And I don't know if that was God answering my prayer or what, but I do know this. He hears everything. Every word that you say is recorded. We know that. We know that. But I think this is so just amazing, such an amazing aspect of who God is. There he is. And yes, he listens to his sons and his daughters, but he's also listening to the lost as the lost are crying out to him. And as there's a lot of religious people that are trying to do good things, and it doesn't go unnoticed by God. Now, it doesn't mean that that saves them, but it doesn't go unnoticed. That should be encouraging. When I was studying through this, for me, it was an encouraging thing because, I, you know, we all know somebody. We have family. We have friends who are, they have no relationship, but there may be a lot of religion, and they're doing stuff. You should take heart that God sees that. He sees it. It doesn't save them, so don't have a false confidence. It doesn't save them, but it does get his attention. He does notice. And what I saw from this, 
that you have a religious man named Cornelius who he has his whole family involved in this is God shows up on the perfect day, the absolute perfect day, the perfect moment, and sends a messenger to him saying, hey, listen, your whole life is going to change. Salvation is coming. Salvation is here. Incredible. Take heart. Be encouraged. I hope, I pray you are, especially as you think about those ones, those loved ones that you have on mind who are like, man, they're just so close. They're just so close. Listen, God can save even the most religious person. He can save even the most, and they're the hardest ones to save. Give me the junkie, right? The guy who's hit rock bottom. You come with a message of hope and salvation for that person. They're like, I'm all in. I am all in. Give me the one who searched all over in this religion and that belief system and that thing. Man, the gospel, I'm all in. You're telling me it's not what I do, it's what has already been done for me? You tell me it's not a record-keeping thing where it's like one good mark for good things and then a couple bad marks for bad things and somehow I hope that balances out in the end of it all? You mean I don't have to keep tally anymore? No, you don't. You don't. I'm all in. Religious person. What did Jesus say about the Pharisees and Sadducees? It's easier for the camel to pass through the eye of the needle, right? He needs using a little bit of humor there, but he's like, it's hard for these guys. It's hard for these guys. Why? Because they think they're already good. Here's Cornelius. He's just like, he's just doing what he does. And then God surprises him by sending an angel, a messenger, there in his house to deliver to him this message. Your prayers have been heard. Your gifts to the poor, they've been received by God as an offering. And there's Cornelius being like, what? <laughs> like, this is insane. Verse five, he tells him, now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. This is brilliant. This angel shows up and he's like, okay, so what you're going to want to do is send some guys. You're going to go down about 30 miles. You can go to the coastal city of Joppa. You know, remember that's where Jonah tried to run away from the call of God. That's where Jonah told God, no. Okay, and so Cornelius, I want you to send your guys there because I got my man there, Simon Peter. You're going to go find Simon Peter. I'm already working on him right now. So when your guys get there, he's going to come with you. Cornelius believes it. Absolutely trust in what God has said. He absolutely trusts. So I'm going to tell you this. I bet Cornelius had a brilliant night's sleep that evening. Peaceful. Sweet sleep, as the Proverbs would say. Why? Because he just believed the word of God. Because he believed what God said. I just got to send my guys to go get him, and then he'll come back, and, and, and he'll, he'll clarify some stuff for us. Okay, sweet. Hey, guys, go get him. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to get some rest. And he probably woke up refreshed, maybe excited, anticipating what was going to happen. I don't know. But I do know this. When we trust in God and we trust in what his word has already said, there's just this peace that comes with that. Now, is every moment peaceful? Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> no. You know it as well as I do. There are moments of turmoil within our lives. And there are moments of disbelief within our lives, if we're honest. We know what the Word says. We know what He says. And you can have an angel there in your presence saying, hey, listen, it's going to be okay. And you're like, but I don't think it is. But I really don't think it is because it doesn't feel okay. 
this messenger showed up and was like, listen, here's what you have to do. I'm going to give you, I mean, just step-by-step directions. You're going to go there. He's in this house. It's in Joppa. Uh, it's right by the seashore. You'll know who it's, it's Simon the Tanner. I mean, it's just specific details. You can't miss it. Follow the smell. Follow the smell, and it'll lead you right to this guy's house, okay? So notice all the religious Jews running away from this guy. That's where you want to go, okay? It says, verse 7, as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and, and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, and he told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Immediate obedience. Get your guys, send them to Joppa. Done. I mean, immediate. Immediate obedience. No questions. No questions. He's just like, he's, he, I mean, he's a man of, you know, structure, uh, being a military man. He understands uh, the hierarchy. This guy just showed up, and I'm t- completely terrified about this, this sparkling, this, this glowing guy. I don't know who he is. He's a messenger, but uh, he told me what to do. He's a messenger from God, so he understands that whole thing, too. This angel is representing God. It's not the angel's message. It's God's message through the angel for me, and I'm just going to say, yes, sir, and I'm just going to do it. And that's what he does. I can learn a lot of lessons from that at times, right? So he sends him off. Verse 9. Says the next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, so say about the third hour of the day. And see, that's another three there. Um, New Living Translation doesn't say that, but uh, and it says he was hungry. Okay, it's lunchtime. He's going to go up onto the flat roof. This is normal, standard procedure. You're going to pray. You want to go up there. It's probably a little a little bit cooler. If you're going to position yourself in prayer, you need to position yourself to succeed. Okay. You don't want to go into a warm room. Getting into your bed, pulling up the blankets, and like, all right, Lord, I'm ready for my devos. Like, I'm out in like a few moments, okay? Like, there are no devos happening at all, okay? My prayers are like, they start, but they never finish, okay? You, you have like a prayer life like that? You have to set yourself up for success, okay? Position yourself in a place where you can pray as best as you can with a clear mind, you know the enemy is going to come. There's going to be all sorts of life itself will send all sorts of thoughts, memories. Oh, I can't forget about that. And oh, I got to, oh, I really need, oh, my email. I need to respond back to that email. And no, no, success. Eliminate as many distractions as you can. Okay. Peter's like, I'm hungry. Kind of smells down here. I don't know. They, they're going to cook up some lunch. So I'm going to go up onto the roof where it's cooler and I want to pray. So this is just what, I mean, this isn't what they had to do. This is just what he did. Now, it was customary for them to pray at certain times throughout the day. Absolutely. But there is no rule concerning that. Now, there are rules concerning that if you get into the Jewish literature and the Mishnah, you know, things like that, commentaries and and all the extra stuff that was always added. And that's where we're going to see some of this stuff play into effect. But as far as like, when can I pray? Well, Paul answered that. He says, pray always. Pray always. Pray without ceasing, like breathing. Do you plan when you breathe? If you do, you're a little too type A, okay? You got to calm down. You need to relax. Um, Just breathe. Natural. Just breathe. Your body needs it. Just let it happen, okay? You don't plan that out. Prayer. You don't plan it out. Now, are there prayer meetings? Yes. Brilliant. Awesome. You need to have prayer meetings. Structured prayer, corporate prayer. It's a beautiful thing. But you as an individual, between you and the Lord, you can pray as often as you want, whenever you want. You don't even need an opening and you don't need a closing, okay? It's a conversation. Hey, God, here's what I got going on today. Um, Or I got this. And Lord, what do you want me to do today? 
Lord, I need a word from you today. You know, it's just normal. It's natural, okay? Don't make a big deal. It's just, it's a conversation between you and somebody that you love. That's what it is. But Peter's going to go. He's going to go at noon. He goes up onto the flat roof up there, and he's going to pray. And it gives us the detail that he was hungry, okay? Stomach's growling. That's not the Holy Spirit, you know, giving him words or anything like that. That's just natural. Stomach is growling. I'm hungry, but I'm, I need to pray. I need to pray. It says, but while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. I don't know what that means. Um, I don't know if you've experienced that when you've been praying either. I think I maybe have, but that probably was more of sleep, okay? So he falls into this trance. And then it says, he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill, and eat them. What? This is weird. No, he's not seeing, this is probably in his mind's eye, okay? He sees this, this blanket. So what's this blanket? Here's my theory. Giant tortilla, okay? That's my thought, right? Fresh. You smell it. Oh, man. Could have been a pita bread. You know, it's Middle Eastern. I get it. Or a nice flatbread. Oh, man. Freshly baked flatbread. You can't beat that. I'm sorry, but that's just amazing. Here's Peter. He's already hungry, and this thing gets whipped down from heaven. Gets unfolded. He's looking up. He's like, what in the world? And there's animals in it. And then this voice tells him, hey, get up. All-you-can-eat buffet. Have at it, Peter. And he's like, pass. Nah. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 hold on. This is his response. And I don't blame him. I mean, come on. You're praying, and a blanket unfolds from heaven, and there's like snakes on there. Or, and I hear rattlesnakes good. I'm never going to try it, but whatever. But there's, there's all these animals, clean and unclean, and, and God says, hey, pick what you want. Kill it, dress it, eat it. Go for it. Make a chili out of it. It doesn't matter. Go for it. Like, knock yourself out. I'd be like, mm, I don't know about this. Is this the enemy? God, is this really you? Because this is strange. This is weird. But here's the Lord speaking to Peter right where he's at. It's noon. He's hungry. And God's going to use something a little unusual to bring clarity to his heart and to his mind about how God really works and how God has always intended to work. I mean, you go back to the book of Genesis with Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, I believe, where God says, listen, I'm going to use you to be a blessing to all of the nations. No, 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 that's just the Jews, right? That's just Israel, right? No, because he's our guy. No, 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 all nations. That was established from the very beginning, the very beginning. God has always had a plan for the Gentiles, always. This just happens to be the moment where those, like I said, those doors really just blow wide open. Now, the Lord has been reaching out to the Gentiles up until this point. We know that. I mean, he sent Jonah on a rescue mission, so to speak, to the Ninevites. And he was going to communicate to them a message of mercy. It was a mission of mercy is what it was. God says, listen, if you, you need to repent. You need to stop what you're doing. Because if you don't, I'm going to destroy you guys. I'm going to wipe you out. And they repented. Now, it didn't last that long, about 120 years but they repented. God sent the prophet from Israel to go and speak to all these Gentiles who were the enemies of Israel. God has always been working like that, always. He's always been working. Even in, when Jesus, through the Gospels, there was a Roman centurion that showed up in Jesus' life. He's like, listen, my servant's really sick. Can you pray for him? 
you heal. You need to come and see him. Well, he even told him, he's like, you don't even have to come. He's like, I understand authority. All you have to do is say a word and he can be healed. How incredible to learn about the Holy Spirit and the faithfulness of the apostles within the early church. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're so glad that you joined us in this study through the book of Acts. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear more from Pastor James, feel free to visit breadforthebroken.com and click on the teachings tab. We'd also love to hear from you. So would you let us know how you've been blessed by Bread for the Broken? You can drop us a note through the contact page on our website. While you're visiting breadforthebroken.com, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind this ministry, Calvary Chapel Galveston. If you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you visit. So for directions, service times, and to learn more about us, just visit breadforthebroken.com. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we encourage you to read ahead and to begin to study the book of Acts on your own. Although it may seem unrelatable because it took place thousands of years ago, that couldn't be further from the truth. God is still living and active today, and His Spirit is present and seeking those who believe. And if you let Him, God can do incredibly powerful things through you for the kingdom. So the question we'll leave you with today is, will you say yes to what God is doing? And will you trust in Him to move today just as He did all of those years ago? There's still so much to learn from the book of Acts, but that's all the time we have for today. Join us again next time, right here on Bread for the Broken.